was a time when I looked in the mirror and I could see nothing. There was a space where I was supposed to be. I realized I'd become invisible. So I wrapped my head in white gauze, leaving two holes for my invisible eyes to look through, which I covered with a pair of dark sunglasses. And I put my clothes on over the rest of my body and covered my invisible hands with a pair of white gloves. I was working as a bank teller. And the first day I came in like this, the bank manager said nothing. He thought I was on my way to a costume party. But as people asked questions and began to complain, because some thought I was trivializing the responsibility of handling their money, and felt that the bank was acting irresponsibly by allowing me to dress this way, and began to withdraw their accounts, the bank manager was forced to act. He brought me into his office for a talk. And he was very cordial, very nice. First, he asked me how everything was going, if things were okay at home. When was the last time I'd had a vacation? He sort of danced around it at first. Then he asked me, how do you like working here at the bank? I said, speaking through the hole I'd cut in the gauze for my mouth. I really enjoy it. I like my coworkers. I like the atmosphere. I like dealing with the public. I enjoy the responsibility of being the guardian and custodian of the bank's finances. I take pride in the quality and the efficiency of my work. I'm very happy and I hope to have a long career here and rise through the ranks and have the privilege of someday having an office such as yours and speaking in such a kindly manner to employees like me. And then he said, we can't help but notice that you've changed your mode of dress lately. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, of course, I'm referring to the gauze you're wearing around your face and the gloves. And I said, yes, well, insofar as we all deal with unseen forces, the hidden world, the hand of God, since our lives are governed by the unknown, it seems to me that dressing as if I myself am invisible is more in tune with the realities of the forces that control our destinies than is everyday dress. I'm simply acknowledging those forces, welcoming them, embracing them. I'm letting them in, and I'm celebrating them. And the bank manager interrupted me. That may be so, but I'm afraid if you insist on coming to work like this, we're going to have to let you go. You've been a fine employee, you've been very loyal, and you're one of my favorite people here. But this is out of concern for my responsibilities to the bank. Frankly, some people are frightened of you. They don't know what's going on. Now, in your private time, when you leave the bank, you can change into your present outfit. But when you're at the bank, when you're sitting at your teller station, you have to dress in an appropriate fashion. I mean, what would it be like if the teller at the next window was wearing a gorilla outfit, and the one at the next window was dressed as a spaceman, and the third as a cowboy, and another as a ballerina, and another as Elvis? We cannot let such a precedent be set, because then everyone will be doing the same thing. It's part of the bylaws of the bank. As a corporation, 
that the employees must wear proper business attire. And I'm going to show you here in subsection 6 of the employee conduct code. And he withdrew a huge tome, opened it to page 3487, paragraph 9, subsection 6, in which it described the proper attire for a bank teller. And he quoted the following passage. Women will wear a white blouse and dark skirt. Men will wear a white or blue shirt closed at the collar with a necktie and a pair of slacks and shined leather shoes. It is permissible to remove your jacket with permission from your supervisor during a work day. But no blue jeans, no t-shirts, no sweaters, no tight clothing. Then, remarkably, he ran his finger down to a line that said, White gauze wrapped around the head with accompanying white gloves is strictly forbidden and calls for disciplinary notice and dismissal. Now you will go home, he said, and we'll give you a week to think about this. And then on Monday, call me and let me know if you want your job back. And it'll be waiting for you on Tuesday. But you must dress the way Farrington does, the way Levy does, the way Kleinhofer does, the way Gonzalez does. Now, if you'd like, I'll have Doreen Xerox a copy of the page I just read to you. You can study that over the weekend. So I left the bank and went home, somewhat shaken, knowing that under the circumstances, I could never come back. decided to take a vow of silence, that perhaps I had been mistaken in talking to others, in pursuing a dialogue. So I became a mute. I entered the silent world. Although I heard the sounds of televisions in other rooms, and I heard other people talking, the meaning of their words began to become less defined for me. In fact, I reached a point where I hardly understood what was being said at all. It was as if that faculty was atrophying, as though English was becoming a foreign language to me. Very slowly, words became less and less succinct, until they became utterly unintelligible. As I slowly moved across a border, where language graded out from my own into a foreign tongue by degrees. And so then, I found myself truly isolated from the world. It was only me and my thoughts. And in this inexorable and profoundly deepening loneliness, I sometimes sought out the physical companionship of a streetwalker. I'd meet a woman in a bar and take her back to my hotel room, because at least in the act of physical love, there was contact. Of course, I was unable to remove the gauze gloves, but fully clothed, we were able to commune, and this gave me some comfort. Finally, I came to a Buddhist monastery in Idaho, where they understood the value of silence, but they wouldn't let me stay there, because it was necessary to don the saffron robes, the wooden prayer beads, the cloth sandals, 
the rope sash and gauze wrapped around the head was forbidden. And one of the monks took me into his office and he told me the story of a sailor who had one nostril and breathed more deeply and fully underwater than a fish. Of the night when the moon turned green and the fields began to burn. Of the monk who visited the sun at night and therefore avoided being burnt to a cinder. And when he'd finished telling me these stories, with a countenance filled with expectation, as though having imparted the solution to the problem I was now facing, he leaned forward toward me with raised eyebrows. But I was mystified to the point of being dumbfounded. approaches, 
maybe somebody younger. I know that you've been here for an eternity. And being with me, maybe it began to feel like another eternity. <laughs>